0: Now, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all your many blessings to our church. Thank you for, for Resurrection Sunday. What a wonderful time it was, and so many people, and the gospel going forth, and we're just so blessed to have you as our Father, and now we ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding, and show us Jesus in these words in your living um, book, the Bible, God breathed. Have your way in our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When George Bush Jr. was serving as the 43rd President of the United States, the press became aware of some unsavory behavior on the part of his twin teenage daughters, Barbara and Jenna. That's all we heard about for weeks on end, it seemed. And the issue, underage drinking, allegedly there was a false ID involved, uh, hanging out with the wrong crowd at nightclubs. Well, the big hubbub, of course, wasn't really what they were doing in the grand scheme of things. 19-year-olds who are out partying doesn't usually make international news. Unless, of course, your father's president of the United States and your mother, First Lady, the epitome of demure and class. When people saw those pictures, they said, really, quite literally, what's wrong with this picture? Uh, It's not what these teenage girls were doing, it's who these two girls were The name they bore made their indiscretions newsworthy. And it's newsworthy because there's a disconnect between expectation and reality. The world expects and should expect better behavior from children of privilege. Children of the presidency who have access to the Oval Office who could hitch a ride on Air Force One, who also are afforded Secret Service agents at their beck and call, they are held to a higher standard and that's just the way it is. More dignity, more restraint, and more respect for law should be shown. Now, in the same regard, the Apostle John is going to make a case this same kind of thinking here in the last part of chapter 2 in the first part of chapter 3. He's going to say this, as believers in the glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who made the world, you can call God your Father, children of God, and as such... We are held to a higher expectation and standard. We must live like, in character-wise, the God who has given us life. And so we enjoy this unparalleled privilege of having God lavish his love upon us and make us his children. We bear his name. And as such, we do the right thing in life. John's going to argue. He says if God is all about what's right and good, and he gives birth to something, (laughs) that something better be in right reflection of him. And if he's all about what's right and good, then the one born of him must be all about what's right and good. That is what's driving this sermon. That is what's driving these passages here in the middle of 1 John. And so now he's back, John is, to offering some simple litmus tests for Christians to know who is a child of God for reals and who is not. And it's gotta come down to something very simple. In this moral test, he's cycling back to something we've already talked about. Now he says, regarding pattern of life, that's important. The habitual pattern of a person's life. You do what's right, you belong to God. If in your pattern of life, the habit, the bent of who you are, you do the wrong thing, biblically speaking, then you don't know God and you are not saved. Well, can it really be that cut and dried? Is it really that easy? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) according to John, it is. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 2, starting at 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears... We may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he, the Lord, is pure. All right, so we'll pause here. This will be our text for reflection this morning, the context um, as I've mentioned, the moral test now, uh, you can tell a true Christian, somebody who's going to heaven by the kind of life they live, the moral quality of their lives, the abstinence from sin, and the embracing of what's good and right, biblically speaking, and it always starts with God. And, and so now, And Christians who strive to live that good life, to do the right thing, John is going to suggest in the middle of this that we do the right thing and abstain from sin, two very helpful things to help us be who God has made us to be. Those two things are two points this morning. Number one, he says continue in him. So it's a command to go forward with the Christian life. We're going to talk about that. And the second point of the sermon will be understand your destiny. If you do these two things that you are going to find when you see the Lord Jesus face to face, which you will, you have an appointment. And in that day, you will stand there. Two things, confident and unashamed. He says, just follow this little prompting here. Two things, right? Continue. Continue and understand your destiny. So number one, first, he says, continue in him. Let me paraphrase to you those last two verses there in chapter two. I'm paraphrasing, so listen. And now, dearly loved children of God, I urge you to continue in him. Continue in relationship with the Lord, walking with him. Keep in step with him so that when the Lord Jesus appears, we won't be embarrassed. Caught off guard at his grand and glorious entrance. We'll have perfect confidence. If you know God is all about what's right and good, then anybody born of God is all about what's right and good. Makes sense, doesn't it? So that, that's the idea here. So first he says, to these Christians who are very upset right now, why are they upset? You've heard this many times. They're pastors. They thought they were pastors. They thought they were Christian. They were not. They were just playing games. And then they defected, and they went across town, and they started a spiritual center called Gnosticism. They left the Christian communities altogether and started telling even new Christians, oh, man, you're still doing that old school, primitive, narrow-minded, restricted, guilt-ridden uh, Christianity? That I ran out of adjectives there. I didn't know how many I could find. <laughs> well, yeah, Are you, uh, you know why it was so easy to come up with? Because you still hear the same thing today. And so I was just thinking recently of what I've heard at Starbucks. <laughs> And the answer to that is, yeah, we still are doing that, because that's the gospel, and the gospel never changes. And so they're like, well, what do we do now in the church communities? were are shaking. Can you imagine people you know and love and trust and looked up to on the platform now are shaking their heads and at you like... You poor, pathetic, lost little creature, you know? And and now everybody's flocking to them and having a good time because they don't require the same holiness. They said, oh, you can have God and transcend holiness, good and evil, come on. What's sinful, please. Those are all mythological nonsenses. And so they were upset, and so they're like, what do we do, John? And John says, keep Doing what you've always done. Now, whatever that verb means, to continue, is really important. King James has to abide. Why is it so important? He says, here's what you do in order that on the day you're face to face with the living God, your maker, you will be confident and unashamed. So whatever this little word means, continue, it's really important that we understand it so we can do it. Because when we see Jesus, we want to be confident and unashamed. Let's talk about what it's not. What what is it not? Well, notice, I noticed, first of all, I expected him to say something like, hey, okay, in order to be confident and unashamed, Jesus is coming and you're going to be face to face, crank up those good deeds, Get busy, you need to be given more. Work harder, are you kidding me? That all you can do? Come on, do the right thing, do the right thing. Serve harder, Uh, exhibit some virtue. No, he doesn't say that. Because good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. Saved people go to heaven and unsaved people go to hell. It never, ever has anything to do with good or bad because we all fall short. Only God is good, and God gifts us the right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so he's not asking you to do anything good on your own. So I was expecting that. For John, right behavior is not a requirement for new birth, but a consequence The Bible never asks sinners to produce what they can't. They can't do good works. But it does ask those in relationship with God to cooperate with his spirit and let the Lord of goodness do his thing through us and in us. And that, my friend, is the only goodness that God will ever accept. It must spring from faith in Jesus Christ and from his presence in your heart. It can't be worth anything to God unless it comes from right relationship with God himself. And so we see that the gospel is a response to God. And now what does the command to just continue mean? Well, the word in the Greek is meno. If you're taking notes, M-E-N-O. And uh, it means to live with. And let me give you three examples of how meno is used. Why don't you open those two doors and get a little breeze back there? That'll be nice for the, for the warmed-up sheep. <laughs> I, see, I see the look upon their faces. <laughs> All right. A little proper ventilation helps the word go down a lot easier. <laughs> I've learned something in my old age. Three examples now of uh, where menno is used. So you can understand what menno is because you've got a menno in case key uh, comes in your lifetime. Uh, so when Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, it says she went to Elizabeth's house for three months to menno with her. Um, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, my, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, guys. Please, menno with me." Two disciples at the beginning of Jesus' ministry were following behind him, and I love this John chapter one, and he turns around and says, yes, can I help you? (laughs) And they say, "Um, uh, where are you menowing? And the Lord says, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was menowing. You can't menowing in Greek, but you can in English thankfully. (laughs) Come and see where I'm menowing and you can menow with me. Ah, so of all the commands John can say in the entire Bible for a Christian to know on that day, I can have my shoulders back, my heart filled with peace, my, my mind not racing with regret, but sheer confidence and no fear. It comes down to one thing. He says, keep doing what you did yesterday. Do it today and do it tomorrow. And guess what? When the trumpet goes off, you're going to be okay. Live with him. Walk with him. Love him. The verb really means hang out with him. Because as you do that, from your relationship with Christ comes all the goodness and the rightness and the ability to choose wisely and the strength and the grace to actually carry that out. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do zero. John chapter 15, verse five. He didn't say, apart from me, you can do a little bit. He said, apart from me, when it comes to this, zero. That's why he says, continue. Jesus says, yoke up with me, this is the same idea. Yoke up with me, don't be intimidated, I'm humble, And meek. I'm not going to come at you and come down on you. Uh, Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. Learn from me. Uh, and, And you'll find rest for your soul because my burden on you will be light and easy. The verb in the Greek means sweet. Hang out with me. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I love what Jude, he wraps it up this way Jude chapter. Uh, Well, there's only one chapter, but verse 21, (laughs) everybody was about to catch me, but wrong. I figured it out. Jude verse 21, it says, listen to this, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. How hard is that? What is he saying? He's saying, as Paul said to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, listen to this. If anyone unites themselves with the Lord, they are one with him in spirit. He says, it's like you got married, that your spirit and the Holy Spirit have enmeshed. Now John says, learn how to walk in cadence with that pure goodness. Let him walk you through this life. And as you die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow in the areas that are getting in the way, you will let him, together with you, start to manifest good behavior and right behavior. What's he saying? He's saying, wake up and read your Bible this morning, just like you always did. And then, you, you, you know, have a time of prayer. Turn on Caleb. Listen to worship music. Talk to somebody at work about the Lord. Uh, Do what you always do. Live the Christian life. Go to church on Sunday. Go to a Bible study. Hang out with Christian friends. Take communion. This is what he's saying. He's saying, if you do your Christian life, you're going to hear the bell go off because he's going to come in an hour the world doesn't expect and you're gonna be safe because you're just continuing to do what you did yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So don't let these spiritual people detract you from the truth, keep going. You'll be just, you'll be found right with him because you're continuing in him. And then comes the motivation, I just love this, that quickens the pulse and focuses the life of every true believer. He says, he's coming. You're going to see him when Christ appears. You know, Library of Congress in Washington is a very uh, impressive building. I've seen a slide of it, at least. And on, inscribed on the walls, a lot of Bible verses, but there's a, a line from the poet Yeats that goes, one God, one law, one far off divine event toward which all creation moves. One far off divine event toward which all of creation is moving. It moved there now an hour closer than when you first came in this building. There is no escaping. All of creation is foreordained and predestined to come to grips with this, Christ appearing through the clouds, and every eye shall see, and the end of human history as we know it shall come. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye shall see, even those who pierced him and all the unbelieving peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. Revelation chapter one, verse seven. When Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest, the high priest said, I charge you under oath by the living God to tell us whether or not you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus responded, There in Matthew 26, it is as you say, and I say to you right now that you will one day see me, the Son of God, seated at the right hand of the glorious one coming in the clouds of glory from Jesus' own lips. Paul the Apostle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7, for the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in a blaze of fire with his powerful angels on the day he comes to be glorified in his people, marveled at him to those who have believed. So what is John saying? If you're doing today what you were doing yesterday and what you'll be doing tomorrow, when that day comes, You'll have peace in your heart. You'll have confidence and radiance in your face, your shoulders square back, and a shout of joy. Not a, oh, no, you couldn't have picked another time to do this. I'm in my season of rebellion right now, (laughs) of all the times for you to have a season of rebellion. How do you know? You you pick your little season to do your own thing. How do you know that's not the one little time he's going to come back or you're going to die and go to him? John says, that's not a good picture, is it? So he says, just stay on track. Continue. One foot in front of the next. Just keep doing the Christian life. And it's okay if it happens to be a time of weakness and a time of defeat. In a time of struggle, you're his child. That's part of walking with the Lord. He's not asking you to memorize Psalm 119. (laughs) He's not asking you, you know what? You want to be found in him? 40-day fast, prove it. Prove your devotion. How about sinless perfection? None of that. How about a mock crucifixion like the people in the Philippians? Philistines whoops in the Philippines last weekend he says I don't want any of that could you just live the Christian life like you're doing and that'll be enough moving on now he says continue in him now John introduces why that is such a attractive thing to do there's this overwhelming love and this God-ordained destiny at work in our lives. So uh, let me paraphrase 1 through 3 of chapter 3 for you. Wow. Now, you don't see it there, but let me assure you, it's there. In the Greek, it says, behold, King James has it. it NIV goes, how great. But the word in the Greek is look. Look. Or behold. You know when you get excited and you need to get somebody's attention, you go, look, that's the word here. So I'm going to translate it, wow. All right? All right? Wow. Could you even imagine how great God's love has been heaped upon us uh, that he honors us by calling us his own children? And that's exactly who we are. And it's also why the unbelieving world doesn't get us because we're the children of the God they don't get. Dear, dear friends, we are in fact God's children. But there's a lot of mystery still in what's in store for us. But we do know that when the Lord Jesus appears, we'll be changed like him because we'll see God in his fullness as he is. So naturally, anyone who's living with the expectation of seeing him soon is working on keeping themselves morally pure because that's who he is. So it's all about continuing. And now it's all about destiny, who we are designed to be. And it's all about love. Not, did you notice this? Not about the love you have for God. It's about this love that he has for you. How great the love of God for us lavished upon our lives. John will later say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but he first loved us. Now, I could tell you, you know, look, he's saying, wow, God has loved on you like crazy to call you his child. He says, God really must love you. Now, don't Let your eyes get glazed over at something you've heard from day one that God loves you. Because familiarity will breed contempt. I have heard that God loves me thousands of times in 32 years of being a Christian. If you're not careful, you get desensitized to that. That's why John's like puts in the little gasp, a verbal gasp, like angels. Gas, universe, stop spinning. Whoa, hold on here. Wow, get a load of this. The one who spoke the worlds into being is calling them. These rebels, even when they get the Holy Spirit, they want to do the wrong thing. Even when they know him and they're reading their Bibles and they're going to church, they're not very much better than the people in the world. And he says, mine. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Somebody got it. (laughs) It's a wow. Behold. Don't get desensitized here. uh, When I was doing my grad work down in LA, Pasadena, we lived in a place called Alhambra. And we lived right on the railroad tracks. I mean, seriously, not right on them, obviously. (laughs) Close. I mean, you can open the window and throw something out and be on the tracks. That's how close it was, all right? <laughs> now, when we first moved there, I was like, what is that? And everything just revolved around, here it comes again. And then after six months, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. And you know how I didn't hear it? <laughs> you know how I knew I didn't hear it? It's because people would visit. And they go, dear Lord, what is that? And I would, if I was doing something, I would say, was what? Because I got used to hearing it. So John says, wow, so that you all hear all oh, that train again. Those who get God's love for them are the most productive, the most healthy, the most normal the most at rest, the most loving, the most serving. They're the most effective Christians on the planet because they grasp the love that God has for them. They don't keep dismissing it and playing head games all day long that he has to convince them night and day for years and years and years. I really, really love you. And then just at the end of your life, on your deathbed, you're like, oh, I think Jesus loves me. (laughs) uh, too bad. You couldn't enjoy it the whole time. He says, behold it, think about it, contemplate it. It'll change you. It'll change you. Well, now he's going to take you back to that the Father has given you birth. And you know that whole thing with John 1, he came into the very world he created, But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they didn't recognize him. But to all who received him, or rather believed in him, and then received him, he gave the right, listen, to become the children of God. They are reborn, not by physical birth, but by supernatural spiritual birth that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Now get this, because it's the whole entire teaching of the New Testament, In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit speaking together as one God as he is, let us make man in our image. Adam was as good as God, period. Not one flaw. As holy as God, as good as God, as patient and loving and kind and gracious, Adam was. Because, as F.F. Bruce says, in other words, God announced his intention to bring into existence beings like himself as much as creatures can be like their creator. We reflected this marvelous light this brilliance, this shining. In fact, the one who clothed himself in light had children clothed in light. But then the light went out. The image was marred, seriously defaced. And man took Satan's bait and rebelled. And then we became unlike him. Hatred, darkness, death, and all the things associated with, with things unlike the goodness of God manifested in human life. And so what commentators say is that the light went out. We were clothed in light. We were spiritual beings. We were perfect. We shined with the glory of God. And when we disconnected from the light of the world, the light went out. We realized, Oi, ve, we need to be covered <laughs> up because the light was no more. And now, you know what? I started thinking about the magnificent beauty of a peacock. I saw a picture of one, uh, just unbelievably, just, it's, it's a while when you look at those peacocks in full regalia, you know? But you know what? If you pluck those feathers, all of them, you're gonna have some pathetic looking bird there. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, like, I imagine it in my mind like a cartoon character, like baby Huey with no feathers. I don't know if you remember him. We got plucked in the garden. We were creatures that emanated the glory of God and now just short-circuited out and we got some fig leaves. Man alive. Now, catch this. This is where I'm going with this. The whole point of the new testament is the image bearer comes to earth the radiance of god's glory hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says jesus is the radiance of god's glory he takes on human flesh and he says hook up with me i'll restore the image that god intended for you and you will be destined once you meet me and our spirits become one You are destined back to glory the way I originally intended you. As glorious as I am, as good as I am, as holy as I am, you shall be too. Now, that's the whole New Testament teaching. We used to bear the image of Adam in our brokenness, 1 Corinthians 15, but soon we will bear his image, the man from heaven, We have a new self, Colossians 3.10, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator, Colossians 3.10. And listen to this. Jesus, Matthew 13, he says, On that day, the righteous shall enter eternal life, shining their faces like the brilliance of the sun. Matthew 13. Why? Because we get our feathers back. We become like him. You remember the transfiguration when Jesus said, hey, this is who I really am. And he starts shining, right? He says, that's what you're going to shine like. Daniel said it this way. He said, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens forever and ever. This is what Romans 8 says he called you He saved you, and now he has predestined you to become like his son in the image of Jesus Christ. A tractor beam from heaven, if you call yourself a Christian, is upon your soul, and he is using everything to conform you to peel away the brokenness and the immorality and the sin, and bring you into conformity with his dear son. And so John's point is, like father, like son, you, you are going to be like him because you are like him, not because you're trying to be. You, you know, resemblance is just natural. Let me tell you about physical resemblance, which I find in families amazing, face shape. Features, hair color, eye color, height, and build. Now I've got a son who uh, got a download of all my genetic information. I know he. I know Barb was involved because <laughs> I was there. But but honestly, I mean, right from the start. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Right from the start. I mean, I I would put my hand up like this, and, and then and then he would just imitate me. Uh, He couldn't even talk yet. It was like I didn't say, hey, PJ, act like me. You know, he just did. Now, Pastor Ross, cute little bugger, isn't he? Um, That's called a mullet. You got a problem with that? It was very popular. I'll have you know. Uh, I was going to Photoshop the mustache out, the Mario thing, but... All right, so then we grew up and we look a lot alike. Now, let me tell you a story. You can shut that down, thank you. I'm at Kaiser. I went to the doctor's appointment and I get a text afterwards and PJ texts me and he says, Dad, were you just at Kaiser? I said, yeah, what's it to you? (laughs) And he says, well, I have a friend who's sitting across from you in the waiting room who texted me and said, PJ, I'm sitting across from a guy who must be your father. (laughs) And PJ's like, are you sure? And he said, it's you with no hair. (laughs) Sure enough, I had to say guilty as charged. I was like, Kaiser, I don't know who was staring at me, (laughs) stalking me, (laughs) saying, Somebody, it's pretty bad if someone could just look at a total stranger and say, I I know your kid. John's point. John's point that he should be able to, oh, oh, I get it. I get the connection. And then John says, and don't expect them to applaud when they make the connection. That is why the world doesn't get you, because they make the connection and they didn't get this one. They don't like that one. They murdered that one. And then they go, uh, you're reminding me of somebody I really want nothing to do with. So I'm real happy for you now. (laughs) Bye-bye. Right? That's what John is trying to tell you there. And so now there's that theological resemblance that we must bear. You can't say God is my father, the God of all truth, the God of all holiness, The God of moral purity, he's my dad. He gave me spiritual birth into my heart. He put God's seed in me, and that thing's growing. Can you tell? Can you tell? Well, happily, you're not who you once were. But sadly, you're not fully who you should be now. And you're not yet who you will be one day. So John says, keep it up continue with him nurture the family resemblance let the shine happen and Jesus will re, re, will appear god will fast forward the whole process and you become in a moment who he's been making you to be here i love these words paul the apostle 1 corinthians 15 he says listen i'm going to tell you a mystery we're not all going to die He says, but in a moment, a twinkling of an eye, a heartbeat, he says, a trumpet will sound and we who are alive shall be changed because these bodies that are given over to death must be clothed with a body that can never die. So he says, the last trumpet in a twinkling of an eye, you'll be in his presence and you'll be changed. The process will be done. He that began a good work in you will have carried it out to completion then not another day because you will see him as he is and you will know as you are fully known even by him. Now John says, admittedly, folks, we we have a big mystery here. What are we going to be like? Well, he says, you know, we do know a few things. Number one, the Lord rose from the dead and he had a resurrected body. And Philippians chapter 3 tells us that by Jesus' power, Jesus is going to uh, transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So number one, we will have a body like the resurrected Jesus Christ who is God the Son. We will have a body like God's. That's what he says. All right? Number two, you will retain your personhood and your memory because Jesus retained his. The angels to the guys looking up, well, guys, come on. Don't worry, don't stand there all worried. This same Jesus, the same Jesus who talked to you about everything going on. You retain your personhood. You will be changed, perfected, but you will always be you. Number three. It's a literal body that has structure. Jesus' resurrected body. He shows up there, and they're freaked out. He thinks he's a ghost. And he says, touch, touch, I got, there's something there. I'm not a ghost. He has got flesh and bone, no blood. But there's substance. He says, touch. He says, you know what? I can even eat. Watch this. And he grabs a piece of fish, pops it in his mouth, goes, ah. <laughs> And look! Look! It's gone. I ate it. I'm not in the, like a Casper the Friendly Ghost. All right? So he's got structure. He goes, Thomas, feel you feel that? That's a little. That's where I got uh, owie there. For you, but you could feel it. It was still there because he's the same person. Ah, so will you be? Because Philippians chapter three, you get a body like his. Now, number four, it can disappear and appear at will because he did. It's no longer, it may have structure, but it's no longer under physical constraints because the door was locked and the windows were barred, but that didn't stop him. Nor will it stop you because you will have a body like his. That's what the Bible says. You'll be powerful, sown in weakness, raised in power. You'll be glorious with that shine thing going on. First Corinthians 15, 43. I know, I've got some of that shine started, (laughs) folks. (laughs) Sown in dishonor, sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Luminous, shining. The angels, when they show up, they're creatures of light too. When men see them, they fall as dead men. We will be elevated above the angels because we are the bride of Christ. We will shine brighter and more glorious than the angels. That's scripture. Do you see why John goes, wow, behold, look, I need to talk to you about what's being lavished upon your life. So in closing... Glorious, eternal, spiritual body, a body and life that perfectly reflects the glory and goodness of God, just shining bright. Hard to imagine. Can you imagine yourself with no sinful thoughts? I mean, who are we going to be? I won't even recognize myself. Just only pure thoughts. Only pure thoughts, only pure motivation, only glory of God. And still retain my memory and who I am as God's uh, creation. Listen. Romans 8 says the earth is going to get a makeover. It's going to be restored to paradise. And he says, and you, you're going to be restored to the image God had for you before sin marred its uh, image there. Listen, go with me with this uh, metaphor with the peacock thing. All right. I saw a glorious peacock on, on uh, the Internet, and, and I want to show you the colorful one. I mean, they're just, they're just, they're, they're beautiful. And have you seen the white kind? Now, John, if you go with the analogy I'm trying to bring home in closing my remarks, John's saying, you've got unemployment. <laughs> Not yet, that's okay. We're getting there, though. (laughs) Put on the garbage bird. God pulls us out. This is called the garbage stork. I'm from (laughs) New England, and we have troubles with the R's. The stork that nobody wants their baby to come to them by. (laughs) He didn't just get dirty. That's how they all look. They were born that way. And you know where they live? They live only one place, in the garbage heaps. Now, God came along. I'm sorry to offend your dignity, some of you, but he said that we're all born that way. And he said, you know what? He put in us this predestination to become beautiful. And inside us, we've got the garbage bird. The Lord said, he's as good as dead, and you can count him dead, because the Holy Spirit will keep him that way if you'd like to keep him dead. But, you know, from time to time, it raises its ugly head, and it wants to go picking through the garbage. John's point, go back to the white. John says, seriously? That's waiting for you. That, that, that is your ordained right, and that's where you're going, whether you like it or not, if you're a Christian. You're not going to want to keep those plumes all nice and tidy and what? You don't want to go to the garbage heap like that? You want to sully that beauty with, with stuff from the sewers? John is seriously, Would it make sense to you? Unless, of course, go back to the bad bird. (laughs) Unless, of course, that's really who you are. Because John will say, if you live there and eat that regularly, you are that. And the first thing The white one. <laughs> Never happened. So now we walk with the Lord. We can't, we're looking forward to that. And anytime time we see any kind of thing that doesn't belong, we're like, just pluck that thing out. Well, not really pluck it out, but deal with it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you, you've got some... Glorious truths for us to consider this morning. They're hard to to grasp and wrap our minds around, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that through faith we could receive these truths. We know in our hearts they burn bright when you talk to us. We know it's going to happen, and we look forward to shining for our King throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.